Imagine having a pen and paper in front of you, and you have the task of explaining one of the absolute greatest events in all of human history. Where do you even start as you try to write down and explain the birth of Jesus? Well, two of the gospel writers start by explaining the events around his birth. They give us a lot of details about his birth. We're grateful for that because otherwise we'd have a lot of questions, wouldn't we, about the birth of Jesus, the Son of God. So they give us a lot of information, but even they chose different starting points. Matthew began with Abraham's family, talking about the Old Testament Abraham and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. Luke begins his story giving us details as well, but Luke's story centers around places in the Bible lands like Jerusalem and Nazareth and Bethlehem as he gives us a lot of the details about the birth of Jesus. In fact, he gives us more information than any other gospel writer regarding the birth of Jesus. Now, Mark was totally different. It's hard to even imagine, but Mark didn't even talk about the first Christmas. Mark just totally skipped it. He he goes straight to the story of Jesus as an adult, beginning his ministry, his baptism, and beginning his ministry. So Mark doesn't even tell us anything about that first Christmas. John, on the other hand, explains Christmas, but he doesn't deal with the events like Matthew and Luke. John talks about the first Christmas, but he wants us to understand the significance of those events. Not the events themselves, but the significance behind the first Christmas. It's interesting, John only uses 18 verses to describe the first Christmas. It's called the prologue of John, and, and this prologue really introduces the entire gospel, uh, introduces us to the entire gospel of John and, and why the story of Jesus matters. John's starting point for explaining the first Christmas was an interesting starting point. Like Matthew started with Abraham and, and Luke started in Jerusalem. John's starting point for the story of the first Christmas is to go all the way back to the beginning of time. In fact, if you have your bulletin, I'll show you something. On the back of your bulletin, we've listed the scriptures for you. Uh, and we're going to do this each week during this Christmas series because there are certain words in the first 18 verses that are repeated. And I wanted you to see those words highlighted in bold text. And so this is our text for today, next week we'll be looking at the word light, and on the Sunday before Christmas we'll be looking at the word grace, but it all comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And so John takes us all the way back to the beginning of time, and I want you to focus on the first verse, because there is a word in the first verse, you see it in bold text there in your notes, John uses this word three times in the first verse of his gospel. As he explains the first Christmas, John focused on the Word. Chapter 1, John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now later in the gospel, or, or later in the prologue rather, when you get down to verse 17, John tells us who the Word is, that the Word actually is Jesus. But he doesn't mention him by name as he begins his gospel. He mentions instead this phrase, this term, this title, the Word. Look at it one more time as we look at this text together. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. 
And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, or Jesus, was God. According to John's Gospel, the story of Christmas does not begin in Bethlehem. According to John's Gospel, it doesn't even begin with Mary and Joseph and the angel's announcement to them. The story of Christmas begins long ago, before the world was even created. The first three words in the Gospel of John might sound familiar to you. In fact, they are identical to the first three words of the first book of the Bible. If you go back to the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, first book of the Bible, the first three words of Genesis are these, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John, in writing his story, he uses those same three words as he introduces the first Christmas. In the beginning... God spoke in Genesis and the world was created. John explains that God spoke again on that first Christmas. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God spoke again. This time not to create the world, but to recreate the world that had been destroyed by sin. John uses this phrase, this term that's unusual to us, but would have been very familiar to the people he was writing to. It's the term, the Word put this on your notes if you're taking notes there on your bulletin. It's the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S. Logos is the Greek word. That's the transliteration of the Greek letters. Logos, the word. The word that, that logos simply de- describes, it's a very rich word, word that describes the wisdom of God. For the Jew, they would use that word to describe the wisdom of God. The Gentile or the Greek would use that word to talk about The divine wisdom of God. So the person of God is the word, or the wisdom of God is described by the Greeks. And as the word, here's what John wants you to understand. The word is God's communication to us. I mean, how do you communicate your heart to somebody else? You do it through your words, right? How do you communicate your thoughts to anybody? You do it through your words. John says, you need to understand the first Christmas, and at that first Christmas, God was speaking At that first Christmas, God spoke into the world He had created. God speaks to us through Jesus, the Logos, the Word. Jesus was God's ultimate communication to all of us. In fact, that's exactly what Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, I want you to hear that phrase again. He has spoken to us by His Son. That's the Logos, the Word. Jesus is the tangible, visible expression of the invisible God. But now listen to me. I want you to think through this with me. Jesus didn't come just to represent God. John begins his gospel by explaining that Jesus didn't come to represent God, that Jesus is in fact... God Himself. That Jesus was God long before Bethlehem. See, some people have the mistaken idea that Jesus, when He was born in Bethlehem, that that's when Jesus came into existence. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, in fact, that Jesus was always the Word. He was always God. Let me just read the text for you. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the very beginning of everything, in the very beginning of time, was the Word, or Jesus. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In this one verse, John makes three huge sweeping statements to help us understand the, first, the great significance of that first Christmas. And so I want to give you three statements, and I want to strain your brain a little bit today. I want, to, I want to stretch you a little bit today, but simply looking at what Scripture tells us. And the first thing you need to understand about Jesus, if you're going to understand the first Christmas, John says, here's where it starts. You need to understand Jesus is eternal. In the beginning, in the beginning of what? In the beginning of time. In the beginning was the Word, or Jesus. The one that John calls the Word has a timeless existence. The Word didn't have a beginning, nor will He ever have an end. He is eternal. Let me explain how that relates to you and me. Jesus took on our humanity when He was born in Bethlehem. But Jesus always has been and always will be eternal. There's never been a time when the Word did not exist. So John says, if you're going to understand the Christmas story, you need to understand this is where we've got to begin. Don't just go back to Abraham like Matthew did. Don't just go back to the cities of Israel like Jerusalem and Nazareth and Bethlehem. No, you've got to go back to a dateless past. You've got to go back to the beginning of everything because in the beginning of everything, Jesus was there. I want you to marvel at that. The New Living Translation says it best, I think. The New Living Translation says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. In the beginning, the Word already existed. So Jesus is eternal. Then John tells us number two. If you want to understand the first Christmas, you need to understand Jesus is equal with God. Again, let me stretch your brain a little bit. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, the word Trinity is not found in your Bible, but the concept of one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is all through the Bible. Here's an example of, of part of the Trinity. Jesus said, or the Bible says, the Word was with God. Now, I want you to notice, you might even want to circle on your notes there on the bulletin, that phrase, with God. The phrase with God means to be face-to-face with God. It's talking about intimacy and equality. Face-to-face, He's equal to God the Father. He's intimate with God The Father. Now the reason this is important is because Jesus is the one person in all of the universe who can explain to us who God the Father is. He's the one person who understands how God the Father feels about us and and how the, the Father loves us. Jesus is the one who could be the Word, who could communicate to us who the God the Father is because He's face to face with and equal to God the Father. So he came to make God known and to speak on God's behalf. Now, everybody look up here for a moment. I'll tell you something. The amazing thing about all of that, John would say, listen, you need to understand, he was was with God. He was face-to-face with God. And the amazing thing with that, Paul later picks up this idea, and Paul says, listen, even though he was equal with God, he did not consider that something to be clutched or to cling to or to be held on to. This equality with God, this status, if you will, that he had. But Paul later picks up that idea and says, listen, he left the glories of heaven to come to be born 
in Bethlehem so that he could die on a cross. In fact, let me read you that text that Paul wrote, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, from the New Living Translation says this. Listen carefully because it's written so well. Listen to what Paul said. He said, though he was God, talking about Jesus, though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. If you want to understand the first Christmas, John says, let me tell you, uh, you, you've got to understand the significance of what was happening in Bethlehem. Jesus was equal. Jesus is eternal. And Jesus is equal with God. And yet, he was born in human flesh, in Bethlehem. And then John tells us one third and final astounding thing when he says Jesus is essentially God. Look what he says in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word was there has the idea always, always was, always is, always will be. In essence, Jesus is all that God is. Let me say that again. Jesus in his essence is what? In his essence, in his nature, in his attributes, in his love, Jesus is all that God is. Here's what you need to understand. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not a subordinate to God the Father. Jesus is not second in command as the Son. Jesus is all that God is. That's called the Trinity. He's the second member of the Godhead. The Trinity. He is equal with God. And He is, in essence, God Himself. He is all that God is. Whatever you can say about God the Father must be said about Jesus who is the Word. This is so exciting because when you read the Gospels, when you read the Gospels, here's what you find. You read the story of Jesus doing God-like things, right? When you read the Gospel... He's healing or He's speaking. And whenever He's healing or whenever He's speaking, it is God that is healing. It is God who is speaking. That's why He could speak to demons and they would flee. He could speak to the wind and the rain and, and, and they would obey His voice. He could speak to illness and disease and bring about health. He could even speak to death and bring about life when He spoke to Lazarus. Because when Jesus spoke... God spoke. The voice of Jesus was actually the voice of God. Uh, that's why later in, in the book of John, I love this story where the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they send the soldiers to go get Jesus and bring him in for questioning, and they come back empty-handed. And they get all upset, and they say, why didn't you bring him back? We told you to go get him, bring him back. Why didn't you bring him back? And they stood there with awe, and they said, nobody's ever spoke like he spoke. I don't think they fully understand, understood who he was, but they understood when he spoke, this is more than just a mere man speaking. So let me be clear. John was not saying that 
Jesus is identical to God. I know we've got to get our minds around this. John was not saying that Jesus is identical to God because they are different. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's not saying that Jesus is identical to God, but he is saying in character, in quality, in essence, and in being, he is God. And to drive that point home, John emphasizes in verse 2 what he's already told us in verse 1. He says in verse 2, he... Jesus, the Word, was with God in the beginning. And then to really make the point, he stresses that Jesus was actually creator as well. Look what he says in verse 3. Through Him, through the Word, through Jesus, through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In other words, John stresses that Jesus is the creator of everything. Which is very interesting, isn't it? That the one who was creator stepped into the world he created. He took on humanity and stepped into the world he created. Jesus was the agent that the Father used in creation to bring everything about. The pastor, how do you explain that? Well, my little mind has a problem comprehending all of that, but let me explain it to you this way. God the Father is, according to the book of Acts, chapter 4, God the Father is the ultimate source of all creation. Now follow, follow and listen carefully. God the Father is the ultimate source of all creation. But God the Son is the agent through whom those things came into existence. I can explain it to you better by pointing you to Scripture, I think. Look at this text. Yet for us, there is but one God the Father from whom all things came. He is the source of everything that was created. All things came from Him. Yet for us there is but one God the Father. From whom all things came. And for whom we live. And there is but one Lord. Jesus Christ. Through whom all things came. And through whom we live. Through Him. John says in verse 3. All things were made. And without Him nothing was made. That has been made. See, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John informs us that before Jesus ever entered the world, the amazing thing is, He created it. That's why you and I need to understand the true significance of that first Christmas. Chris, I've tried all week trying to think, how do I, how do I illustrate this? How do I explain this in a way that, that we can grasp it? And here's the best way that I came up with. Look at this. We think of Christmas this way. We think of Christmas, it's the story of a baby who became a man who eventually became our Savior. I think that's by and large the way a lot of people think of Christmas. It's the story of a baby who became a man, a good man, a, a godly man who became our Savior. But that's not really the true message of Christmas. The true message of Christmas is more like this. It's the story of God who became a baby who grew up to be a sinless man, who became the Savior of the world. You can't understand Christmas unless you understand that the one born in Bethlehem was not just there to represent God, He was God. In every sense of the word, He was God. And if you take those first three verses from the Gospel of John and you understand that Jesus is eternal and He is equal with God and He is in essence God Himself, when you understand all of that, it really clarifies the Christmas story for us. 
Christmas story begins to make more sense because the Bible teaches in Matthew and Luke that Jesus was born of a virgin. Well, of course He was. How else would God be born? Or the Bibles talk about angels announcing His birth. Well, it makes sense now. Of course, the angels would be involved in announcing the birth of God. Star marked the place where He was born. Well, that makes sense because the heavens would be all about marking the place where God had entered the world. And the Bible talks about the Magi who came and they bowed down and they worshipped this baby. But if you understand John's perspective, it wasn't just a baby, was it? It was God. And now it makes sense. Of course they knelt down and they worshipped this baby because that was God in human flesh. Now it makes sense because Jesus is God stepping into the context of our humanity. And that's why the whole world, the whole world marks time based upon His birth. The entire world does that. This was such a significant event That the entire world marks time based upon what happened on that first Christmas. All of history is separated according to the birth of Jesus. B.C. stands for before Christ. The entire world marks time in history based upon that event at the first Christmas. Before Christ. And then A.D. And a lot of people think that means after death, but that's not what it means. I mean, if it did mean after death, there'd be a 33 and a half year gap there, right? So, A.D. is a Latin phrase, and it means, and the Latin phrase is Anno Domini, and it means in the year of our Lord. B.C., before Christ, A.D., in the year of our Lord, from the day, from the year He was born, in the year of our Lord. So, we are now, to put it in, into our perspective, we are now in the 2021st year of our Lord. We're now living in the 2021st year of our Lord. And the whole world marks time according to the birth of Jesus. That's how significant the first Christmas is. That's why John began his gospel the way he did. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. It wasn't just representing God. Word was God. Now here's the heartbreaking irony. I want you to hear me. Listen to me. The heartbreaking irony is that the whole world marks time according to the birth of Jesus, but millions of people in the world have never heard His name. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that heartbreaking? Millions of people, billions of people have never heard His name. I want to give you a number. I want you to write it down. 155,473. It probably should be a number you memorize. 155,473. Would you say that number out loud with me? 155,473. That's so that it's kind of ingrained in you. Would you say it one more time with me? 155,473. According to the International Mission Board, that is the number of people who enter eternity every day 
without knowing Jesus. Yesterday, statistically speaking, yesterday 155,473 people died around the world without knowing Jesus. Statistically, today, 155,473 people will die and enter a Christless eternity because they never knew Jesus. Tomorrow, 155,473 people will enter eternity again without knowing Jesus. People around the world desperately need to exp- somebody to explain to them the significance of the first Christmas. Because they don't know. Many of them have never even heard that story. Recently, I heard Dr. Paul Chitwood, who is the president of the IMB, and he said, more lost people are alive today than in any time in human history. That grabbed my attention when he said that. Listen to it again. He said, more more people, I'm sorry, more lost people are alive today than at any time in human history. Then he said, most lost people will die today and enter hell uh, than any other day in human history. There will be more lost people who will die today and enter hell than any other time in human history. And it will happen again tomorrow. And it will happen again the next day. And it will happen again the next day. John says, let me explain to you the significance of the first Christmas. God entered our world. Because we desperately were caught in sin. And there was no way we could eradicate ourselves from that sin that is in our hearts and in our lives. So God entered time and space through the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God became a baby who became a sinless man. Who became a sacrifice or a savior for the world. But billions of people don't know that. Let me give you two more numbers. Top right-hand corner, 7,283 unreached people groups in the world. The IMB, International Mission Board, says there are that many people groups in the world who have less than 2% Christians in their population. 4,283 different people groups scattered around the world who have little to no access to the gospel. Give you another number. On the bottom right corner, 4.5 billion people 4.5 billion unreached people that live in those 7,283 people groups. 4.5 billion people who live in those unreached people groups are living without Christ and living without the hope of the gospel. And many of them have never even heard His name. So, as we celebrate the first Christmas this December... One of the ways that we go about that type of celebration is we recognize there are people around the world who don't know this good news. They've never heard that good news. And so next Sunday, we're having a lot of moon Christmas offering. And when we take that offering, we support our missionaries who are, who are on the, the front lines of lostness. They're living in hard places, hard to reach places on the front lines of lostness, getting the gospel to those who haven't heard it yet. I wish you could have been with me in November in Columbia at the state convention because at the state convention, the IMB was there and they were commissioning 39 new missionaries to take the gospel to the nations and to sit there and to hear their stories of how God called them and where they're going in the world. And sometimes their faces had to be silhouetted and their names could not be given because they were going to dangerous places around the world to take the gospel to people who still have yet to hear about the first Christmas. 
And so next Sunday, we're going to, to take up the offering to support missionaries like that. In the last two or three years, we've been talking about, let's put another missionary on the field and take $62,000 to support a missionary for a year. And so the last two or three years, we've said, let's, let's give at least that much. And you've done that every year. We've given at least that much to put a new missionary on the field, to help a new missionary on the field. And this year, that's our goal again. Let's put another missionary on the field. But our goal is going to be $65,000 to try to help get another missionary there on the field. And today, I want to close by telling you about one of those missionaries that you and I have the chance to support. I want to show you a picture. I want to tell you a quick story picture that you see before you right now is of a dear friend of mine. He's a pastor in a prominent church in the state of South Carolina. He and I have worked together on state convention level for lots of different things. I can't tell you his name right now because his family's uh, going to be going to a hard place in the world. Let me explain to you. This, this past Monday, I was going through Twitter, and as I was scrolling through Twitter, I saw the picture. I instantly, rec- of course, recognized my friend. That's his grandson right there to the right. And he wrote these words. He says, words can't capture how much I enjoy this little guy. He and his baby sister and his parents leave in the morning for their new home overseas on mission. I'm profoundly grateful for their heart for the nations and the gospel. And yet I'll treasure days like today. And I texted him that morning. I said, man, you, you just grabbed my heart because I got a little grandson too. I can't imagine saying goodbye to him as he goes to a European country to tell people about that first Christmas. His pastor's Family, their names are, this is not their real names, but the names that they go by for security reasons are Merrill and Callie Rowe. It's not their real names. But because of where they're going and who they're working with, they can't use their real names in public. Merrill and Callie Rowe are moving with their two children, Matt and Jen. They're moving to a European country to work with refugees from North Africa who, who are living there. Merrill and, Jen, Merrill and Callie and Matt and Jen got on a plane Tuesday morning and they flew to this European country. They moved there. And when you give next Sunday, you're going to help put another missionary on the field. These are people we know. These are people who are sacrificing. Missionaries sacrifice a lot when they leave their families to take the gospel to the hard-to-reach places of the world. And their family sacrifice a lot as they say goodbye to their children and to their grandchildren. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. The whole world marks time with B.C. and A.D. And there are 4.5 billion people in the world who do not understand why. They don't understand the first Christmas. They've never heard the good news. So next Sunday, let's give to put another missionary on the field. Let's give greatly and generously. Let's put another family on the field for the glory of God and for the nations.
But I want to say to you and to those that are watching online, the one who changed the course of history, the one who, because of his birth, split time, and he changed literally the course of history, can change the course of your life too. He can change the course of your life. If you'll put your faith in Him. If you'll declare once and for all, I believe. I believe. I believe in a God who loved us so much that He came into this world in the form of a baby who became a sinless man who became a sacrifice for my sins. I believe. I declare my faith in Him. And I ask Him to be my Lord and my Savior. See, the amazing thing about Christmas is you can have a personal relationship with the one who was born 2,000 years ago. John calls Him the Word and he later names him and calls him Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? He's the one that split time. He changed the course of history. Because he wasn't just a baby and he wasn't just coming to represent God. He was God. And He still is God. And He can change your life if you let Him. You just got to ask Him to. Now I'm pray about that. Right where you are. Right where you are, you can say, I believe. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross my sin. I believe you really came into our world. I believe in you. Right where you are, you can make that your commitment. Asking Him to forgive you of your sins to come into your life and to be your personal Lord and Savior. Father, I thank You for this word. As John is telling us about that first Christmas, but he began back in eternity. And Lord, that's it's an amazing story. It's an incredible story, but by faith we accept it as true. By faith we accept it as real. And we are grateful that you stepped into our world through Jesus Christ. He came as the word to communicate to us about your love and your mercy and your grace. God, I pray that you'd help us to meet and exceed our goal of putting another missionary on the field next Sunday. And I pray, Father, for anybody listening here, whether it's in this building or watching online, I pray that just like you changed the course of history, you'll change their life as they put their faith in you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.